Welcome back to the Spirits Guide Podcast. I am Rich, your guide through the intoxicating world of spirits, books, movies, music, and anything else I feel connects us as humans. I want to start out by thanking you guys uh, for tuning into last week's episode, for coming back. I know podcasts are like a sort of weekly habitual thing when we listen to them. So to go away for a couple of months, take some time off, um, much needed. Uh, it, it was great that I could come back and you guys came back and, and listened. So that's awesome. Thank you guys so much. And thank you for being here uh, this week as well. And what what a week it is. Um, get a little pour going on here. Um, yeah, an amazing week. This week is, it's the start of football. Let's fucking go. Um, my Steelers look great. We haven't had a losing season, and I don't know how long. Mike Tomlin's never had a losing season. Uh, you guys are going to learn this. I'm going to talk about the Steelers a lot. I'm very excited for this year. Um, kicking off against the 49ers, obviously. By the time you guys are listening to this, that game has already happened. At the time of recording, that game has not yet happened, so I'm looking forward uh, to sitting down and uh, watching that. I feel like this is the first year I've been really excited about football in a long time. Um, I, I just, I couldn't watch during COVID. Uh, you know, those football games and empty stadiums just didn't, wasn't quite the same for me. And then I just sort of lost interest and, and did other things. And then, you know, last year got back into it a little bit. Um, and then this year I am full on, full tilt, ready Ready for some football. Uh, it is the start of Bourbon Heritage Month this week. Uh, we talked about it a little bit last week, but yes, September is National Bourbon Heritage Month, uh, which to me also means sort of the unofficial start of hunting season and me having to deal with bourbon hunters. You know, and I kind of had this analogy in my head uh, this week of, I was watching first take on ESPN. Wow, I'm starting off with a lot of sports this week. Um, and there's a, a I, I don't watch it a lot. Uh, it's basically just two talking heads arguing for the sake of arguing, although they call it debating. Um, but sort of the lead debater, the guy that the show is based around, Stephen A. Smith, uh, is well known for kind of trashing the Dallas Cowboys. And it's all in jest and it's, you know, for entertainment value and purposes. But he, he said something this week that kind of it resonated with me of, you know, he was picking on the Cowboys and then he, you know, jokingly and he says, you know, it's it's not that I don't like the Cowboys. It's the Cowboys fans that I don't like. And I thought, man, that's how I feel. I love bourbon. I love Buffalo Trace products. I mean, Buffalo Trace, great, great bourbon. Uh, I just did a barrel pick. We'll talk about that. Um you know, obviously, Eagle Rare is. I, I always kind of laugh. Of now, I'm gonna forever think of that Eagles, uh, Eagles Trace bourbon that a customer asked me for. You know, I like what Buffalo Trace puts out. I don't like the hype that they use to put it out, and some of the limited nature of the things that they hype up and then don't make available. But the products that I've tasted are all very, very good. 
It's the people who hunt and track these things down. Those are the people that drive me nuts. So when I, I get on the podcast or when you guys talk to me in person and I'm shitting on Buffalo Trace, I'm not really shitting on the product. It's more so the people who, again, come in the store that I've never seen before asking for these things or even worse, call me on the phone to ask me <laughs> over the phone. That's the laziest hunter ever. Um, and I, I had one this week uh, who called and got one of my younger cashiers uh, at the store on the phone. And, you know, the the younger ones, the newer employees haven't quite figured out that this is going to be a regular thing. So they always come to me and go like, hey, I got a guy on the phone asking if we carry Weller. No. And then you have to get on the phone with the guy and explain, you know, I only get a couple bottles a year. And he says, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm new to this whiskey thing. And I was like, oh, you're that fucking guy, the new to bourbon guy. And, you know, somebody told me that Blanton's was good. And I finally tracked down a bottle of Blanton's. And now somebody's telling me that Weller is good. So I'm trying to find a bottle of that. But it took me so long and so much money to track down that bottle of Blanton's. I'm afraid to even open it. <laughs> And I'm just, I'm trying not to laugh. I get it. You know, it's awesome that people are getting into the category. The problem is, is they're just, they're only looking for the rare exclusive stuff and you're hunting it because it's rare and exclusive, um, not because it's good. And I, I've said it a million times before. Why do people track down Weller? Why did it grow in such popularity? Because six, seven years ago, it was $20 on the shelf and it was really good for $20. Now, you know, 60, 80, 100, I, I've seen it go even higher. It didn't get that much better. It was never the greatest bourbon in the world. It was just really good for really short money and one of the only weeded bourbons out there on the market. And now people hunt it as if it's liquid gold. And I, I think especially the, the new to bourbon people, Maybe that is the gold standard. Maybe it's the first thing they try and they think it's amazing because they've heard all this hype and psychologically it becomes something more than it is, which is something I, I, I'm definitely going to talk about uh, on this episode and kind of all month of some of these sort of buzzwords and articles and things that give people enough information to be dangerous and, and things that they think are important when it comes to bourbon that may be important, but may not necessarily be important. Things like proof, age statement, mash bill. People know enough about these things to be dangerous, um, but they don't really know all of the, the, the info on it. Um, and sometimes, you know, Having all that info doesn't tell the entire story. And like I said last week, in the end, what matters? What matters is if you drink it, you like it, and you're okay with what you paid for it. Uh, so what else happened this week? Well, I threw my back out on Monday. Uh, absolutely brutal pain. It locked up. I've been had spasms all week. And why is that relevant? Well, the other major thing that happened to me this week was I finally, finally get to sit down with Dan DeHart from Grander Rum. Uh, what has seemed like a, a journey, a, a comedy of errors. Uh, we were supposed to do this Zoom meeting 
uh, back in June to talk about Granda Rum. And then something happened and we couldn't do it then. And we were going to do it a couple weeks later. And then something happened and we couldn't do it then. And then they had the hurricane hit Florida. We were supposed to do it. And, and that kind of messed things up. And then we were going to do it a couple weeks ago, uh, right after the hurricane. And, you know, I had to do it at work because the way Zoom works, you can do it on your phone. You can do it on your tablet. But if you do it on a PC, you can also simulcast it to Facebook. You can also record everything. Um, so I have the audio of that. And the audio, when we get out of Bourbon Heritage Month, uh, I will put the audio of that conversation out on this podcast. But I wanted to put it on my store's Facebook page live so everybody else could see that. Uh, and when we went to do it a couple weeks ago, um, all of a sudden I'm, I'm getting set up. I'm, I'm doing all my prep and the computer's telling me it doesn't recognize a microphone in the computer. So now I start to panic. Uh, we run out, we buy a microphone, we get ready to do the Zoom. All of a sudden it's telling me that it doesn't recognize a camera in the computer with no camera, no microphone. It's a little hard to do a Zoom meeting. Uh, so I had to back out of that. Literally, we were supposed to do it at four o'clock. I had to email Dan at five minutes of four and, and tell him all that. And he immediately emailed me back. All right, when do you want to reschedule it? And he was just awesome, um, accommodating with everything. And it's a great conversation. And you know, if you want to go to the Wachusett Wine and Spirits Facebook page or the Wachusett Wine and Spirits YouTube page, you can actually watch that interview. Now, if you don't want to look at my mug for an hour and a half, uh, you can just wait a couple weeks and the audio of that will be available on this podcast. So that was pretty awesome. All right, let's get in some drinking here. It's Bourbon Heritage Month. Uh, I've got a selection of bourbons that kind of cover a bunch of different ways that bourbon is being bottled um, currently. And this one here, this is a bottle that was gifted to me by one of my wholesalers. Uh, it's sort of a thank you. Uh, it wasn't a bribe for me to buy anything. It was literally just, uh, you know, thank you for, you know, selling a lot of our products, which you know, I'll get to this story in a, in a little bit. Um, I don't lie to my customers. Um, there have been times when I have been asked by my bosses to uh, to sell things that I don't believe in. Uh, and my feeling is the customers may be their customers, but those customers are my friends. And I am not lying to my friends about brands or products that I don't believe in. Now, that doesn't mean that just because I like or dislike something, it's good or not good for you. Um, it just means that the things that I am passionate about, I want to share with the world. Like I try to do here on the podcast, whether it's books, movies, or music, or spirits. Things that I am not passionate about, I will be fully, fully open and honest that I am not passionate about it. If you like it, then that's awesome. Spend your money on it. Um, just not where I would spend my money. And, and that interaction happens quite a bit. Uh, my friend Glenn has a friend who thoroughly enjoys our Knob Creek store pick. Um, it's a Knob Creek rye barrel proof pick. And there's a whole story that went into it. But I never liked that pick. I never wanted to do that pick. I got overruled by the people who signed my paycheck. So I got to go along for the ride on that one. But I have never gone out of my way to recommend that pick. That being said, again, my friend Glenn, he has a friend who loves it. 
and and has bought quite a few bottles of it. So I'm happy for that. I'm happy to move it out of the store. Uh, just not something for me. But again, for every product out there, there's somebody who loves it. It's kind of a long-winded uh, explanation there. But basically, uh, the wholesaler is the people that I get my Rebel Bourbon from. They're the people I get Yellowstone from, Ezra Brooks from. By the way, I just bought a barrel for the store of Yellowstone and a barrel of Ezra Brooks. So, you know, I, I made them some money. Uh, and, you know, as a thank you, they brought me a, a couple of bottles as uh, thank you gifts. And this is one of them, the 2XO, which is done by Dixon Deadman. Again, Bourbon Heritage, Dixon Deadman's family um, definitely has deep roots in bourbon. 2XO means two times oak. So everything he does is double oak. Um, if you scroll back on this podcast page, uh, you'll find a conversation that I had with Dixon when I met him. Fantastic person to meet in real life. Great, great guy. Um, you know, much like a lot of the guys in bourbon and ladies in bourbon. Um, just great storytellers because to me, that's really what a lot of this is about is, is stories and history. And, you know, he's put out uh, the Phoenix blend and the innkeepers blend. And I thought for as great of a guy as he is, I thought the whiskeys were okay. Uh, the $100 price point. Uh, to me, they're not $100 good. They're maybe $50 good. Um, but this is part of the Oak series. Uh, and this is the American Oak. So apparently the secondary barrel is a heavily charred American Oak barrel. I don't have a price point because this was gifted to me, so I didn't buy it. I don't know what it costs, but looking it up online, it looks like it's about $50. Bucks. Um, don't, don't quote me on that. And, you know, kind of like when I had the conversation with Dixon, uh, there's not a lot of info out there. You know, I asked him where he gets his whiskey from and he just says Kentucky and told me he has an NDA, which I feel like there is sort of a, a trend of people with NDAs who are sourcing whiskey. And for whatever reason, either the distillery doesn't want people to know that it came from there or, you know, there's a sense of mystery. I, I get it. But at the same time, I don't really like it. Um, I don't feel like I need to know where the whiskey comes from to judge it as good. But I also feel like if you're not disclosing it, that maybe you're hiding something. It's a weird sort of murky area to me. Um, so 2XO, I actually posted this bottle on my Instagram the other day. This is my chance to sort of revisit it. Um, 92 proof. Not bad packaging. Um, standard tall, skinny bottle. All right. I mean, on the nose, it doesn't offer me a ton. I get the oak. Something a little astringent on the nose. It's not like caramel coconut, you know. It's not one of those. It's not fruity. There's no sort of cherry banana notes in there. It's just oak. All right, here we go. My thoughts stand. It's good. It's good whiskey. I will enjoy drinking that. Um, thank you uh, to Rick Hill, if you're ever listening to the pod. Um, 
for the generous gift. It's really good whiskey. It's got a nice little sweetness in the back end. All right. It's opened up a little bit since I first tried it. For 50 bucks, would I buy one? I I wouldn't be disappointed. I wouldn't open that and go like, oh, I just wasted my money on it. And by the way, while we're talking about wasting money, there are three bourbons, uh, three whiskeys. One's not a bourbon uh, that I've tasted this year that you should absolutely not spend your money on. Um, the Claremont uh, Steep, I think it's called Claremont Steep from Jim Beam, which is their entry into the single malt category. Wow, was that disappointing. Um, High and Wicked Bourbon. There's another one where you don't know where it comes from. You don't know much about it. Just so overpriced and underwhelming. And Fortuna from Rare Character, uh, which just three of the most underwhelming things that I've tasted this year or in my life. Like, And I'll get to the Fortuna Rare Character a little bit later on in the podcast too. Uh, definitely have a story to share there. Uh, yeah. I, you know, is it good? Yeah, it's good. Uh, is it worth the money? Sure. It's worth the 50 bucks. It's worth the buy. Uh, would I rebuy it? No. Um, but I will certainly enjoy it. Does the bottle look good on the bar? Yeah. It's got a, a, a sort of elegant, stylish package to it. Um, it actually looks like it should be more expensive than 50 bucks. So yeah, good week, football, bourbon, Dan Dearhart, uh, Grander Rum, Bourbon Heritage Month. So, you know what? Some interesting releases too that kind of popped up this week um, that I am looking forward to. First and foremost, Maker's Mark. And we're going to get into this when we start to talk about like myths and truths and things that matter and things that don't matter in bourbon. Um, one of them being age statements. You know, what I call the chirpers. This whiskey's young. This whiskey tastes young. You know, I was just talking to my girlfriend right before we I went on and, and hit record here. And we're, I was talking about it. And I was like, you know, like when we were at Maker's Mark back in June, we tasted whiskey right off the still. It doesn't get any fucking younger than that. And not, it, you know, when I'm tasting it and it tasted amazing, there was not one glimmer of a thought that went, wow, this tastes very young. And and it was literally just born. I mean, it, it doesn't get any younger than that. The only way to get younger than that is just to eat raw corn and raw wheat. We tasted it right off the still. It was delicious. And not one of us in that tasting thought, it's good, but it tastes young. So I don't know what this whole concept of it tastes young to me means. Um, it, it just, yeah, I don't get it. That being said, Maker's Mark, which this year released um, what they call seller aged. It's about a 12-year uh, version of Maker's Mark. Awesome. Very, very excited. Now, anybody out there who's listening, who's like, ooh, I got to get my hands on one of those. I'm telling you right now, confirmed, talking to my wholesaler and my sales rep who sells me Maker's Mark, 33 bottles of Maker's Mark seller aged whiskey came to the state of Massachusetts. 
There is so little of it out there that the company that distributes it in Massachusetts, which is Horizon Beverages, they can't even figure out how to sell it, like who to to give these things to. So if there's a store that gets more than one bottle, there is something criminal kind of happening there. And Horizon Beverages is the same company that distributes Buffalo Trace, uh, Pappy, all that stuff in Massachusetts. And they figured out how to sort of spread the wealth a little bit on that. But they haven't figured out how to spread the wealth on the 33 bottles of Maker's Mark Cellar Age. Now, here's why I bring this up. One, it's a very exciting new release. And I'm telling you guys out there, I just, again, this is a conversation I was having with my girlfriend right before we went live of if that bottle comes into my store, that's one of the few I'm keeping for myself. Um, very rarely do I hold on to a bottle and keep it for myself. That one I want. Now, what's interesting about that when we start chirping about age statements is it spent seven years aging in the regular, normal, outdoor rickhouse of Maker's Mark. Seven years in a rickhouse, you might think, all right, well, that's seven years. But seven years on the top floor is a little bit different than seven years on the bottom floor. Now, at Maker's, they actually rotate the barrel, so it doesn't really make a difference. They get pretty even uh, sort of aging on everything. But then it spends the last five years in their cave cellar. Now, I was in that cave. It was 95 degrees out, hot as fuck on that day. We walked into that cellar. It was 55 degrees. It's a, a cave carved into the side of a limestone mountain. It's 55 degrees all year round. Perfectly cool. So seven years it spent in a rickhouse where it's 95 degrees out. It's probably 120 degrees on the top floor of that rickhouse. And then it spent five years in 55 degree temperatures. 12-year-old bourbon. Is that 12-year-old bourbon going to be the same as Knob Creek 12 years that spent 12 years aging outside? No. Is that 12-year bourbon going to have the same wood influence that a gimmicky Jefferson's Oceans that's been in a metal shipping container out on a boat in the middle of the sea with no clouds just baking in the hot sun? No. Is that 12-year bourbon going to get the same sort of oak influence that a Garrison Brothers or a Still Austin or a Balcones or an Iron Root gets in Texas? No. So age statements, while they do mean something, don't necessarily mean everything that we think it does. <sighs> that sound never, ever gets old. Um, so I mentioned that to mention this. Maker's Mark coming out with a brand new product for the first time in their existence, which has been about, what, 70 years now? Coming next year, not this year, next year, Maker's Mark Wheat Whiskey. Man, I am excited. I couldn't believe it. I saw it. Um, you know, there's a whole bunch of resources that I use uh, on Instagram, um, you know, online emails that I get, newsletters that I read. And I forget which page on Instagram 
posted it, but they post a lot of labels on on their, you know, which they kind of scour the TTB, which is the governing body for whiskey labels, you know, to get them approved. Uh, and then they post them. Doesn't always mean that it's coming to market, but in this one, I believe that this is coming to market. Maker's Mark Wheat Whiskey coming in 2024. All wheat grown on the Maker's Mark property. This is all their stuff. You talk about, you know, farm to, to you know, grain to glass, farm to table. Maker's Mark is doing that. Uh, I can't wait. This is going to be awesome. Uh, hopefully, it's something that we can get our hands on. Uh, 61% wheat, 20% malted wheat, 19% malted barley. The proof, 1065 Proof is another one um, <laughs> that we're going to talk about. You know, the chirpers are, oh, this is really, you know, low in proof. doesn't have a lot of alcohol in it. Proof sometimes dictates flavors. Sometimes it doesn't. All right. That last cork pop. Uh, this is another one that I just posted on Instagram within the past week. This is Oak and Eden in bottle finished whiskey. Um, I don't know a ton about this company. I think they make a base whiskey, but their whole sort of gimmick is that they take uh, an oak spiral and they put it in the bottle. So it's kind of like the 2XO double barrel, only they're putting a piece of the barrel in the bottle for sort of, you know, I would not, I don't know if it's extra aging or what. Um, and I wanted to hate this just based on the gimmick. Now, I've seen a bunch of this stuff online. I've seen advertisements for it. Uh, I think I've even seen Sealbox do something with them. So, you know, this was brought in by a different company that we deal with, a different wholesale company that brought the bottle in. Uh, the owner and I, neither one of us were drinking that day. So we had them leave the bottle behind, and that's the bottle I'm using here. What I have is the Wheat Inspire. So bourbon whiskey finished on French oak spirals or spy yeah spirals fired french oak so the first thing i noticed about this sort of gimmicky brand is they have this you know little cell package this little booklet uh and there's a picture on the front of one of the guys from yellowstone so my boss is like oh it's tied in with yellowstone yeah that's all right uh, i don't think that's true because ryan bigham who's a country singer and plays one of the uh bunkhouse guys on Yellowstone has his own bourbon. So it would, you know, sort of be weird to me that Yellowstone would endorse one whiskey while one of the characters actually has his own whiskey. It would seem to be a conflict. Um, but then when you go through this book, uh, the guy's name is Forey J. Smith. He actually plays Lloyd on Yellowstone. He's like sort of uh, Rip's right hand. By the way, if you haven't seen Yellowstone, great, great show. Uh, hopefully it comes back. Uh, to finish out that final season. So, yeah, he collaborated with them. He did his own sort of bottling. There's a bunch of other people who have done their own sort of custom bottlings as well. You know, on the nose, I smell the French oak. Like the wood is there. It's the proof, 90 proof. So it's at the right proof point. You know, not everything has to be 110, 120. All right. 
So I wanted to hate this on principle because I think the the stave in the bottle is gimmicky. It's fun for a home sort of, you know, blender. Somebody who's playing around, but, but to kind of keep it in the bottle like that. Yeah, I'm sure it looks good, but here's the problem. The longer it sits in there, the more flavor it's getting. And right now, it's almost out of balance. And I've had this, this has been open for maybe a week, week and a half. Uh, only a couple sips off of it. So there's only a little bit of oxygen, but I've already tasted the difference in it of how the wood is just getting more and more powerful. My issue is as you drink down the bottle, the ratio of wood to liquid is going to get out of balance and it's going to get really funky really fast. So here's my thing with Okanedon. I don't know the price of it. It's new to the market. There's no listing uh, online, although I've looked it up uh, in other areas. It looks like it's selling for about 50 bucks. If you're going to buy Okanedon, buy it now, open it now, drink it now. If you still have half a bottle in six months, it's going to get super funky. Or like one of my friends pointed out, uh, my friend Glenn, uh, dump it out of the bottle, fish the spiral out, put the whiskey back in the bottle, protect it that way. All right. I am going to take a quick break, grab a couple more bottles of whiskey, uh, and we'll talk some bourbon. Meet me back here in just a second. Nice cork pop. All right, I am back. Fresh bottle, fresh glass. Talking bourbon heritage. Uh, some of the myths, some of the truths. Um, <clears throat> yeah, so before I took a break, I was talking about uh, some interesting releases. Uh, Barrel Craft Spirits, which I think in the marketplace here in Mass, you're going to start to see a little bit more of as it has switched wholesalers. Uh, but they have announced two uh, new releases. One of them is called Two Islands. Now, a few years ago, Barrelcraft Spirits did a release of rum. And if you're not familiar with Barrelcraft Spirits, um, they've kind of become one of the gold standards as far as blending. You know, they... They get whiskey from Indiana and Kentucky and Tennessee and Maryland. Uh, they blend it all together. They do different releases like that. And then they do a whole bunch of barrel finishes. And we're going to get to one of those in a second. Um, so they did a rum a few years ago that they blended together. And then they finished in Islay Scotch barrels. This release of Two Islands is a blend of whiskeys from Indiana and Maryland that are five, six, and nine years old. And then they finished them in those same Islay Scotch barrels that they use to finish the rums. So they're using barrels that have like a rum finish on top of an Islay Scotch finish. Um, everything Barrel Craft does is at cask strength. So this one clocks in at 118.22 proof on the Richter scale. And again, proof is something that sometimes is indicative of what to expect for flavor. Uh, sometimes it's very, very deceptive. You know, we hear things about like, uh, this drinks, you know, 
well above its proof point or it you know drinks below its proof point it doesn't always mean like that it's better because it's higher proof and i think you know it's a trend that i've seen in the bourbon world that it, it bothers me in that people just are instantly dismissive of bottlings because you know Elijah Craig barrel proof isn't 130 anymore. It's 122. They're going light. Uh, what the fuck does that even mean? Uh, to me, if it's barrel proof and it's a lower alcohol proof, it's probably going to have more richly concentrated flavors. Um, you know, things like Booker's, which I like and I appreciate, or George T. Stag, they can get super hot being cask strength. And I always go back to, there was an orphan barrel release a few years ago and it had a really weird, but oddly specific proof point of like 89.6. And it was juice from Dickel. And I had gotten caught up in the hype. It was when we started to see some hazmat bourbons out there. Uh, and I was like 89, you know, and the price point was a little high for what it was. Um, and a friend of mine bought it, uh, a friend of mine named Jeremy, who now actually owns a store out in Hardwick uh, called Old Furnace. So if you're out in the Hardwick, Mass area, stop in and say hi to Jeremy and tell me, you know, you heard about the store here on the podcast. He had bought the bottle and brought it in for me to taste. And I couldn't believe how rich the flavor was of this whiskey at you know, what is considered to be a lower proof point. So proof point does not always indicate flavor or anything else like that. It just shows the strength of what you're consuming, how much alcohol is actually in it. And and there's a whole thing with it. what I, I learned with, with proof points too, is that in America, we calculate the proof, uh, based on double what the alcohol content is. So if it, the bottle is 50% alcohol, it's considered to be 100 proof. 100 proof in America, if you bring that to uh, England, it would be 114.2 proof. Still 50% alcohol, but the way they calculate proof there is a little different to us. So it kind of proves that, you know, proof that word proof doesn't always mean you know it can be indicative of what you're going to get for flavor um but more often than not it's mostly just indicative of how much alcohol how strong it's going to be and that sort of at least for me helps me to gauge how much of that i'm going to drink but i've had bottlings that are you know 120 that drink like they're 90 and i've tasted things that were 95 that drank as hot as a 130 whiskey. So I've had some hazmats that are just go down silky smooth that I wouldn't even have thought were hazmats, you know, when I tasted them. All right. The other uh, new release from Barrel Craft Spirits is an Amber Rana finished uh, bourbon. Known, they're going to call it Amber Rana. And Amber Rana is the new cool kid on the block. Um, let me give you the breakdown on the barrel craft bottling five, six, seven, and 10 year bourbons, uh, sourced from different States, uh, finished in Amberana barrels with a little bit of unfinished bourbon added into it, probably to 
dial back the flavor a little bit. Uh, again, cask strength, 116.42 proof. So that is what, 58.21% alcohol? Pretty, pretty significant. And I know people will look at that and go like, oh, it's barrel proof, but it's only 116. Oh, stop, really stop. Uh, that one's going to clock in at 90 bucks on the shelf. So, but that leads me into Amberana. And like I said, this is the new sort of cool kid on the block as far as finishing barrels go. And we've talked about it before. What does finishing mean? It means that you have your bourbon, you made it, you put it in a new charred American oak barrel. You aged it until you thought it was done. Four years, five years, seven years, whatever it is. And then when you're done aging it in that barrel, you dump it. And then you put that liquid back into a second barrel for a variety of reasons. Now, somebody like um, Old Forester with the 1910, Woodford Reserve with their double oak, and they're putting it back into a new charred American oak barrel. That means they can still call it bourbon. It's a double barreled bourbon. They're doing that basically to reinvigorate that new charred flavor. Um, and still be able to call it bourbon. If you put it in anything other than a brand new charred oak barrel, it can't be called bourbon anymore. It becomes what I call a run-on sentence. So what I've got in front of me, Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey finished with Brazilian Amberana wood. So it's not bourbon. It's bourbon that's been finished. So it's kind of a run-on sentence. It's a little bit of semantics and technicality. Um, but technically, it's not bourbon. It's actually a DSS distilled specialty spirit. And Amberana has come around. And, and this is a weird trend to me that I don't know exactly how I feel about it because I'm starting to see, you know, we're starting to see a lot of finished bourbons. I don't have anything against it, um, but it, it shows me one that maybe, maybe people in the bourbon industry might think that bourbon is becoming a little bit one note. So this is a way to change some of the flavor profiles, uh, appeal to a little bit more fan base. Maybe. It does smell good. Um, and to me, there are really three reasons you finish a whiskey. One, you're smoothing out the rough edges. When I got to meet Dave Peckerel, um, we asked him about that. He would finish whiskeys for like three weeks just to kind of smooth out the rough edges of the whiskey. Now, sometimes you finish it for an extended period of time. When I just had my conversation with Dan from Grander Rum, you know, he's got things that are finishing. They're, they're not even finishing. They're just secondary aging. Um, they almost shouldn't even be called finishes because they're not finishing the whiskey. They're just extending the aging in a secondary barrel. Um, and you're doing that because you have a good base spirit, You've aged it to a point where you're happy with the way it tastes like that. And now you want to add another layer of flavor to what you've already got. And then the third reason that you finish a whiskey is basically when you have not great whiskey. Um, and this is a way to kind of mask some flaws in the whiskey. This is what I think is the heart and soul of the, the Penelope line because everybody is chasing all these Penelope, you know, rose cask finish in Valencia 
and they have an Ambarana finish. I think they call it Rio and they do a bunch of barrel finishes and people go nuts for them. You know what? Nobody goes nuts for the baseline Penelope bourbon because it's garbage. Uh, and I hate to say that because it's MGP juice and maybe that will change now that MGP actually owns that brand. We've got to stop calling them MGP. The name of the distillery is Ross and Squib. Um, it's Luxco, Luxro. I don't know. It's it's not really MGP anymore. But the fact that nobody wants the base model Penelope, but they all go bonkers for the barrel finished Penelope. Uh, to me, it, it shows a trend of a lot of people drinking bourbon who don't really like the taste of bourbon. So I guess it's good to get people into the category like that. Um, you know, there's a stigma over flavored whiskey, but finished whiskey that adds flavor. People seem to be okay with that. Um, you know, if it was a maple, if it was a maple flavored whiskey, you know, bourbon nuts would kind of give you a whole bunch of shit. But if it's bourbon that's finished in a maple barrel, well, that's acceptable. So, all right, let me get into this. What I've got here in front of me, this is RD1. This is a new brand that hit the market. And, you know, guys, I, I'm not always the greatest goalie. Every now and then, one gets by me. This was one that got by me. Uh, I was emailed the sell sheet on RD1. Razzle-dazzle, the whole thing. Uh, RD1 stands for Registered Distillery 1. They, you know, their whole claim is like they bought, you know, the first registration, which apparently you can go back and do like buy the old license and then claim it as your own. So uh, they're made it some, I don't know where they're sourcing the juice from. I know they're going to start making their own juice, but again, you can't just be a brand new brand right out of the gate um, and have four or five year old product unless you're new riff who did it the right way. So they're sourcing their juice from now, but they're going to make it at, I think it's Western Kentucky Distillery. Uh, they launched with basically four bottlings, the base model RD1 straight Kentucky bourbon. Uh, they have a French oak finish. Uh, they have a second oak and maple finish. And then they have the Amberana. This is clocking in at 110. I want to say it's about 60 on the shelf. I thought the packaging was shiny. I was like, oh, wow, that, that looks really cool and really interesting. And right before I got this, you know, I had uh, my friend Peter had thrown me a birthday party. And I, I talked about it last week where we had all these amazing bottles on the table. And uh, I didn't take pictures of it, uh, but it really did happen. And my friend Glenn was there and he had uh, a rye from Rare Character, foreshadowing, uh, that was finished in Amberana barrels. It was the first Amberana I had ever tasted, and I was blown away. Wow. It tasted like eggnog with whiskey in it. It was, uh, you know, the, the, it was a rye whiskey finished in Amberana barrels, and like the, the cinnamon, nutmeg, clove flavors were there. There's a sweetness to it. Uh, the rye married really, really perfectly with it. It was just fantastic. That being said, the sweetness and the flavors are so overwhelming that you could only maybe have a glass and then cap it and put the bottle away. And I think that bottle that I tried of Glenn's was probably about a hundred bucks and worth it because it was that good. Um, but you know, sometimes you get lucky. 
so when this came along, I was like, all right, Amberana, I'm familiar with the flavor. I bought in, I bought the baseline bourbon. I bought the Amberana finish. I didn't buy the other two bottlings. I got them into the store. I cracked them. And within 10 minutes of tasting them, I was texting my sales rep going, fuck, you got me on this one. So I think that they got some juice. This is my opinion. I don't know. That isn't great. And the finish is trying to mask that. This being said, maybe in the future, this gets better. But And maybe I'm wrong. Let me revisit here. Again, 110 on the proof point. Here's what I'll say about this. If you're curious as to what flavors Amberana imparts, and Amberana is a Brazilian teak wood, and from the people I've talked to who have worked with say that, you know, when you get Amberana barrels in, like the smell overtakes the room, like you can smell this sort of sweet kind of like baking spices. It, it really is. It's a really interesting and unique flavor. Unfortunately for me, for this one, the underlying bourbon is just not great. But it is sort of a good way to get familiar with the flavors of Amberana. At an accessible price point, about 50, 60 bucks, um, which is a lot less expensive than the Penelope's or the rare characters. But yeah, it's just not... It's not great. In RD1, Registered Distillery 1, I can't believe I fell for that gimmick because I brought this up to a bunch of, you know, my whiskey customers and my friends, and nobody had ever heard of it until uh, my friend Glenn did a little rabbit hole dive and came back to me with its Registered Distillery 1, not DSP 1, which is what everybody else in bourbon recognizes, um, DSP, which is on every case of bourbon is the license number of all the registered distilleries. DSP one is uh, Heaven Hill owns that. I forget which distillery, uh, Bernheim or, or the base Heaven Hill, but whatever. So RD one is a concept that nobody else cares about. They bought registered distillery one license and they're trying to make a big deal out of it. The packaging is really fancy. It looks stylish. Is it good? It's it's not offensive. It's just not great, and it's not what I wanted for the money. Uh, but again, it does give you a chance to taste the Amberana flavors. Does it look good on the bar? It does. I will have this bottle with me at the store. Uh, so if you guys are local, uh, come find me at Watch You Some Wine and Spirits. I'll happily taste you on this any time you would like. And so the Amberana leads me into my rare character story. Um, you know, in the past few months, I've gotten to, you know, pick a few barrels. The Yellowstone barrel we picked, I am absolutely positively in love with. Uh, the Ezra Brooks barrel that we picked, Easy E, I called it, 126 on the Richter scale, drinks like it's 90 proof. Love that. Buffalo Trace, I got to do a pick. I picked it with Corey uh, and Peter and Glenn. All four of us in unison picked the same barrel. was fantastic. 
And then recently, we had a chance to go down and meet the people from Rare Character. Now, I'm going to refresh my palette here and see if this gets any better. Rare Character are the people behind Fortuna, which was a bourbon that came to market with a ton of hype. But again, it's another one of these bourbons. You don't know where it came from. You don't really know what the mash bill is. Oh, what do we got here? 102 proof. Uh, I know that somebody from the Shapira family at Heaven Hill has something to do with this. I'm not exactly sure what. And they're responsible for all the rare character single barrel bottlings that we kind of see. I see a lot of these on, you know, bourbon websites and, uh, you know, Instagram pages, people posting that they pick these up. And, you know, they do a bunch of finished whiskeys. Uh, you know, I... I don't have anything against the whole concept of buying whiskey from different distilleries, blending it, and then finishing it in barrels. Uh, Barrel Craft Spirits, absolutely fantastic. Uh, Saints Alley, I just got to meet those guys too, Chris Trevino and Rob from Iron Root. Uh, The stuff that they are putting out using Iron Root juice, uh, some MGP juice, and then finishing it in a variety of barrel combinations, they're doing a great job. So I'm not opposed to the concept I, I'm just, what a shit show of a tasting. And people ask me all the time, like, what's it like to do a barrel tasting? And every one is a little different. Uh, but when we went to go do this rare character tasting, it was a situation where, you know, the owner of the wholesaler was going to be there. Uh, the owner of my store has had a long-term, you know, 40, 50-year relationship Uh, with this company and this person. And so I knew we were going there. You know, sometimes you go for mass tasting. Sometimes it's just you. This was just us at an appointment with the people from Rare Character. And quite honestly, I don't give a shit if they hear this uh, because this is the truth of what actually happened. Uh, We show up at the the tasting. Uh, I didn't even want to go because I knew it was going to be bad. I knew that their bottlings are a little bit on the pricier side. Uh, I knew that I have three other barrel picks arriving at the same time. So on a business level, this was not really a good opportunity for us at the store. And when we got there, you know, uh, the the people from Rare Character, uh, one guy handles the business, one guy handles sort of the blending and the tasting. Uh, he had been tasting along with potential customers all day long. Fucking shattered by the time we get there. Absolutely shattered. So they start us off with the Fortuna, which again, I have voted one of the three most underwhelming whiskeys I have ever tasted. Just to revisit. If that was 35 bucks, I would sell it all day long. Solid whiskey for 35 bucks. For 75 bucks? Yeah. I will say that as it's gone on, it's gotten a little bit better, um, but still don't. I don't love it for that that price point. <laughs> so the guy from Rare Character is absolutely shattered. He starts us off with the Fortuna. My tasting notes are like, eh. Then we get into some stuff. They had uh, they had a bourbon finished in four square rum barrels that we tasted. Yeah, I didn't really get any rum or any bourbon. It was just sort of weird. It was like the bourbon didn't really shine through the rum didn't really sh- it was almost like they canceled each other out 
Uh, and my tasting notes are like, I want more rum or I want more bourbon. I, I want more of something uh, for the $100 a bottle I'm going to have to give my customers. We tasted a few other things. I really wasn't impressed. And then they asked me, you know, like, what do you like? What do you sell? And, you know, when I do a store pick for What Choose Wine and Spirits, uh, uh, yeah, another cork pop. When I do a store pick for What Choose Wine and Spirits, I'm always looking for uh, a balance of what I really like and what I think my customers will really like and what will be accessible to them. There have been picks I have done where I thought, like, I really like that. I don't know if it falls in line with what our personality is, um, but I have told, you know, the people doing the tasting, I want to know where that barrel ends up because I really, really like that one. It just isn't part of our profile. And so, you know, we go through the tasting. You ask me what I like. I like mouthfeel. They bring out this Amberana barrel finished bourbon. And I tasted it and I thought, well, yeah, it's okay. It wasn't as good as the one that I tasted that my friend Glenn brought. Um, wasn't terrible. It's just, a, you know, when you're doing a barrel pick and you have to put your heart, your soul, and your bank account behind it and convey that to your customers, you need to absolutely be in love with that barrel. When you're buying a barrel, you're buying a Toyota. You're buying a $10,000, $14,000 barrel. You don't get to pay that in increments. When that invoice comes due, you owe $14,000. So I always have to balance that in my head of like, do I believe in this enough? Do I love this enough that I can go out there, convey that to a customer and get them to fall in love with it where they buy one, maybe two, maybe even three bottles. Things like Eagle Rare, Buffalo Trace, that's an easy barrel to sell because people are looking for that stuff anyways. Yellowstone, Rittenhouse, those become a little bit more challenging and it falls on sort of my passion and belief in that product for me to sell it. I didn't have that passion in this pick. Um, and then we finished with an Amberana finished rye, which was much better than the Amberana finished bourbon. So what I learned is the flavors of Amberana seem to pair better with the spice of rye than they do with the sweetness of bourbon. Hence the RD1. I don't really love it, but I don't know that it's their fault necessarily. I just don't think that Amberana and bourbon blend as well as Amberana and rye. The rye was the best one we tasted that day, but because we've had an issue selling rye barrel picks at my store, uh, because I think rye is a market that grew really big and then tailed off really, really fast, the owner wanted to go with the Amberana bourbon. Uh, and this is what happens when you work for the owner and you're not the owner. I get kind of overruled on that. So that is another pick that is coming. It's a pick that I'm not in love with. It's not terrible. I'm not going to take the bottle out of your hand. I'm not going to tell you you're wasting your money by buying it. I just don't love it. <laughs> and I won't be buying a bottle of it for myself. But the, the guys from Rare Character absolutely shattered trying to tell me stories of how they dropped a single barrel at a total wine. And some guy came in and bought 80 bottles of it. This is what we call a big fish story. People total wine puts a two bottle limit on oyster Bay Sauv Blanc total wine keeps rare allocated things 
out back and you have to ask for them. They put them on the bottom shelf. They're, they don't, first of all, it's not even legal for a person in Massachusetts to drive around with 80 bottles of whiskey in their car. There's too much liquid there. There's too much alcohol in your vehicle uh, for you to legally transport it without a license. So, you know, there's just no way that that happened. Uh, it was a big fish story. And then I looked and they don't really have a Facebook page. Uh, they have a very low traffic Instagram page. I don't think they have a Twitter or now known as X account. So like their whole thing was that they promised all the social media attention and all these other things. And the presence just wasn't there. That being said, I wish them well. Um, but my sort of thoughts and opinions on rare character is they're not exactly at the level of a saint's alley and definitely, definitely not at a level of barrel craft spirits. And after tasting a couple of, uh, good, not great whiskeys, I'm going to end this segment with this one right here in front of me. This is barrel craft spirits. Armida again, selling, celebrating bourbon heritage month. Uh, this is bourbon whiskey run on sentence finished in pear brandy rum and Sicilian Amaro casks cask strength as always 112.46 proof that means 56.23 percent alcohol i do think that when we're talking about these finished whiskeys that impart a lot of flavor and sweetness the higher alcohol also really works because sometimes that sweetness can get out of balance and you need that higher proof point. You need that little bit of burn of the alcohol to keep the sweetness in check. This, by the way, was my whiskey of the year for 2022. Mm. I love it when it says it on the bottle. And the flavors come through in the glass. A lot of times when you see things finished and you're like, oh, I don't get the rum or I don't get the brandy or I don't get the cognac. In this, I get rum. I get raw pear. I get the dark flavors of the Amaro. The proof point is spot on. Keeps everything balanced and in check. That is a great bottle of bourbon. All right, one last break. When we come back, we're going to drink some more bourbon, rant and ramble. I don't know. We'll see where it goes. Uh, yeah, so go grab a glass, uh, pour yourself a drink, and meet me back here in a minute. As always, unless you are driving, do not pour yourself a drink. was a good one all right we are back talking bourbon heritage uh all things bourbon i don't know if i'll get to all the truths and all the lies but uh, just so much of it bourbon heritage where has bourbon been you know a lot of these brands they you know they tout this rich heritage and history you know michter's goes all the way back to the civil war in the 1700s and all these sort of backstories and old family recipes found and reviving things. The truth of the matter is bourbon is not an official classification of spirit until 1964. 
It's eight years before I was born. It's mostly in my lifetime that bourbon was even a recognized thing. Before that, you could make bourbon anywhere in the world. So, you know, it's nice. It's a good little gimmick. You know, it gets people all amped up for bourbon in the start of hunting season. But really, it should be known as American Whiskey Month, not necessarily bourbon heritage, because even the heritage of bourbon um, is mostly rooted in money taxation and the ability to sell it overseas. Uh, that's how it ends up with its official designation. You know, bourbon, more likely than not, doesn't even get its name from American roots. Most likely, the name bourbon has its roots in France from the House of Bourbon um, and New Orleans being a major international shipping port at that time when the barrels leaving New Orleans would be stamped from Bourbon Street in New Orleans. Uh, so <laughs> the, the heritage of bourbon. Um, and again, I'm not shitting on bourbon. I love bourbon. Uh, it is just sort of keeping things in check before we get a little out of control uh, with the whole heritage and mystique and you know america's true spirit it's america's true spirit because by law you can only make it in america but you know there were rye whiskeys and single malt whiskeys blended whiskeys rectified whiskeys all kinds of whiskeys being made in this country let alone you know the oldest distillery the first the oldest spirit in america is laird's applejack you know that should be america's distinct spirit if it weren't made in most other parts of the world, mainly France. Um, so, you know, like it's, it's a great sort of fun thing. I just don't like when people sort of lose sight of, of the reality of it, that, you know, bourbon is America's spirit and, you know, rah, rah, rah. Like yeah, well, we were making apple brandy before we were making bourbon in this country. Hell, corn isn't even native to this country. And that's the main ingredient in bourbon. Um, so there's a lot sort of there. Uh, again, I don't want to pick on it or, or take it apart or be a, a, a downer. Just adding some sort of realism and proper perspective to the whole bourbon heritage thing. And yeah, maybe knocking down some of these guys who I heard Weller was a good whiskey. I should, you know, I'm going to call around and see who has that. No. You don't get to play in the NFL without ever having played a down of football in high school or college. All right. So that magical cork pop. This is one of my two barometers for how I measure whiskey now and how I will continue to measure bourbon going forward. What are the things that I say people chirp about? Well, they chirp about age. This whiskey tastes young. Young is not a flavor, but whatever. Uh, this whiskey is too low, low in proof. Yet, for some reason, we sell a ton of fucking Basil Hayden, which is only 80 proof. Um, but it still sells like crazy. I don't get it. That's one of those whiskeys, by the way, that at 80 proof really is just sort of light and thin. Uh, and its counterpart, uh, Old Granddad at 80 proof, just seems to have more body and flavor to it. Uh People complain about uh, mash bill, proof point, age. These two whiskeys kind of, I don't know, blow a lot of that out of the water. So here we are. This is Baker's 7. 
this years ago when it launched, this is part of what is known to Jim Beam as the small batch collection, Baker's, Booker's, um, Knob Creek, and my goodness, Baker's, Booker's, Knob Creek, and uh, Basil Hayden are the four in the small batch collection. So it was a small batch whiskey. A few years ago, they repackaged it. I love the new package with the big stopper on top. And they changed it to a single barrel offering. And so, again, this is seven years. Age stated right on the label. There aren't a lot of bourbons anymore that are putting that magic number on the front label. Um, And when you see that number, that number seven, that means that the youngest whiskey in the bottle is at least seven years old. Now, this is a single barrel, so it has to be at least seven when um, there's no other whiskeys blended into it. But when you see, like, uh, well, the next one I get to, the Knob Creek 12, uh, there could be 13, 14, 15-year bourbon in there, but the youngest one is 12, and that's where it has to be. Um, you know, really, we're, we're talking about, like, what gives bourbon its flavor. Yes, a little bit is mash bill. Yes, a little bit of it is age. Yes, a little bit of it is proof point. But there's so many other factors that people either aren't aware of or just don't care enough to go that deep into it. Baker 7, this is one of my barometers for great bourbon. Again, 107 proof. Perfect. Um, Seven years. And there's a kicker there. Mash bill I'll get to in a second. Now, what's great with the Bakers is that if you look around the neck, I mean, the label says Baker 7, minimum 7 years. But this bottle that I have in front of me, barrel age is 8 years and 7 months. This is supposed to be a minimum of 7 years. It's another year and a half older. They don't change the price. Uh, The current batch that I have on my shelf at Wachusa Wine and Spirits is 8 years, 11 months almost two years older than what the age says on the label, still the same price. So if you're out looking at Baker's, check the neck of the bottle that gives you a more accurate age statement. So again, 60 bucks, almost nine year old juice. Even if you go by the the rule of thumb of $10 per year, this should be a $90 bottle at nine years. 60 on the shelf. Oh, man. All right, here we go. Mm. Classic Jim Beam flavors. Caramel, nutty, toasty, smoky. That is so, so good. Now, before I go uh, any further on the miss, oh boy, a little messy there. Uh, That was a weak cork pop. This is my other barometer for great bourbon, the Knob Creek 12. Knob Creek 12. What do all these chirpers chirp about? Uh, It tastes young. Well, this is 12 years old. It's too low in proof. This is 100 proof, 12-year-old bourbon, 65 bucks. Are you kidding me? 
And and you know what's great about both of these bottlings, Baker 7, Knob Creek 12, they are available all day, every day. Wasn't always like that. But now I have these in my store all the time. I sell out of them. I order more. It shows up. I have no inventory issues with Knob Creek 12 or Baker 7. 60 bucks again on the Baker 7, 65 on the Knob Creek 12. You can smell that it is a little bit older. 12 years in oak definitely imparts some sort of more depth on the nose. That is big, bold, spicy, punch you right in the mouth. Finishes a little sweet, but still some sort of toasty heat in the back. That is fl- that is bourbon that tastes like bourbon. It is my barometer for great bourbon for a whole bunch of reasons. One, it's got the age. Two, it's got the proof. Three, it's got the flavor. It's got the availability. It just tastes like what great bourbon should taste like for 65 bucks. Now, here's the thing. The other thing that, you know, people who want to show other people how smart they are about bourbon want to talk about mash bill. These are both the same mash bill. And there's a a website you can go to if you want to see all of the mash bills. Uh, Modern Thirst is the website, and they have a list of everybody's mash bill except for Buffalo Trace because they're super, super secretive about everything they do, right down to something else that affects the flavor that nobody talks about really, and that's the char level. So both of these bottlings, number four char. That's a heavy char, uh, what they sometimes call an alligator char. They burn the shit out of that barrel. More toasty flavors, more depth of flavor, darker flavors right there. Both of these go into the barrel at 125, which is the legal max you can put bourbon into a barrel. So when you're distilling your bourbon, you can distill it up to 160 proof. You then have to water it down to 125 before you put it in the barrel. Some places go down to 120. Some places go down to 110. They go into the barrel at 110. These both go into the barrel at the same proof point. They both go into the same level of char on the barrel. They have the same recipe, 75 corn, 13 rye, 12% malted barley. So tell me, what does knowing the mash bill do when they both taste different? How does that happen? Because what affects the flavor is position in the warehouse. What floor these barrels on? How many barrels they blend into it? Now, obviously, the Baker's is a single barrel, so it's only one barrel in the blend. Um, You know, your mixture of older and younger whiskeys, blending of upper and lower floors. All these things kind of go into the flavor. So just knowing the mash bill doesn't tell you the whole story. Just knowing the age doesn't tell you the whole story. Uh, just seeing the proof 
These drink fairly, fairly similar. One is seven proof points higher. The Knob Creek 12, to me, has more depth of flavor, more bolder, darker flavors. It's got a little bit less alcohol in it. So what are we learning from proof point, mash bill, age statement? A a lot of things that may matter, that may not matter. Um, But I, I think... A lot of people kind of hang their hat on on those little pieces of information. And, you know, the real art, what makes it, you know, what makes bourbon great is the art of the blend. What are you using for a yeast strain? What floor of the rickhouse are you pulling these barrels from? How long do you let it ferment before you distill it? Uh, all these things have a, an effect on the final product. So... Just knowing one thing doesn't give you the whole story. And with all of that being said, who gives a shit? I go back to the point I was making last week. If you buy the bottle and you drink it and you like it and you're happy with the price you paid for the taste you're getting and the experience you're having, that's it. That makes it a good bottle of bourbon. Having the right mash bill doesn't make it a great bottle of bourbon. Having a really high or a really low proof point doesn't make it a great bottle of bourbon. Having a 12-year age statement, having a 7-year age statement, being 4 years, being 2 years, none of that makes it a great bourbon. What makes it a great bourbon? The fact that you like it and you don't feel bad about what you paid for it. That's it. Um... I, you know, I, I think, I think sometimes in life, people want to make things seem like they're more special than they are, like they're more interesting than they are. Um, this is, it's a technique used when people are trying to sell you services, um, I went through this at my store with our web people who, you know, we started to say we wanted to do more of our social media posts in-house because we know what's happening in real time uh, as opposed to you guys doing it satellite. And, you know, their whole pitch was, well, you can do that, but it's really hard. And we find that people who try to do that, they struggle. And it's, I do it every day. It takes 10 minutes out of my time. But if they can convince me that doing it is really difficult and really hard, then I need them for that purpose. If people can sell you that bourbon is special, that there's something magical about this bottle, that there's something magical about this age statement, there's something unique about this mash bill, uh, it's over 140 proof. 70% of that is alcohol. It's a hazmat. Ooh. All of a sudden it becomes special. And that drives people to want to buy it because it's been made to seem like it's more important than it is. All of this should just be something you can drink and enjoy. Maybe catch a buzz off of. Maybe take the edge off your day calm down at the end of the night maybe it you know helps with the the back pain a little bit um it should be about you know getting together with friends and you know again you guys out there 
make this all so special for me. When you show up at the store and you're like, hey, I just found this quirky bottle that looks interesting. And it looks interesting because it's a brand you've never seen before. It's a weird proof point. It might have a weird recipe. We don't know if we're going to like it because there's no real press on it. We just found it and it looked different. And we try it. And, you know, what I appreciate about all of you who do that with me, you know, whether you're bringing me samples or whether I'm sharing samples with you guys, is you guys aren't afraid to tell me like, yeah, I don't, I don't really like that one. That one's not my jam. And you're not afraid to tell me like, hey, don't be, you know, don't feel bad if it's not good. You can tell me you don't like it. It's okay. Like, it's okay for things to not be great all of the time. The only way you can appreciate the greatness is when you taste something that is shit. And by tasting Fortuna, I can appreciate the greatness of a Knob Creek 12. That being said, the recipe for Fortuna is irrelevant in comparison to the recipe for Knob Creek. The bottom line is one I enjoy a whole lot more than the other. That's what it should be about. And for Bourbon Heritage Month, if you're going out and looking for bottles of bourbon, look for things you can share with your friends. Look for things you can open, sit around. You know, we're getting to that time of year where it's, you know, campfires and fire pits and we're sitting outside on a cool night, having a glass of whiskey. Like, look for those things that you can share and connect with people over. Um, worry less about the status or the recipe or the proof and just find things you enjoy. Um, because, and I've said it a million times, when everything becomes special, then nothing is special. And that's what scares me about the future of of the bourbon industry. And, you know, I get asked this all the time, like, what do you think five, 10 years down the road is going to be? Uh, I also get asked a lot of like, you know, wine, when is wine going to come back into favor? Wine is never going to come back into favor uh, for a variety of reasons. But pretty much what happened with wine was, you know, for the longest time, wine ruled as king. It was stylish. It's sophisticated. I still love wine. I still have a lot of friends who love wine. Um, but I see a lot. Nobody's posting, you know, new bottles of wine or their wine cellar on Instagram uh, and getting a million followers and doing YouTube videos about wine. It's all about bourbon. But what happened with wine? People got experimental. People wanted to try things. They were going to far reaches. Um, you know, people were chasing down status bottles of wine, Screaming Eagle, Silver Oak, uh, you know, all these quirky brands of wine, Phelps Insignia, Opus One. And they weren't drinking them. They were buying them for status and they were sucking them away to age. And then what? You realized you had way too much of it. It was overwhelming. It took up too much real estate in your home. Um, and, and, you know, it just, it became so stylish and so sophisticated that the people who bought it all can't physically drink it. And it became so sophisticated that the younger generation trying to get into wine was like, I don't understand this. This is really, you know, complex. And that is my fear with bourbon of like the new to bourbon people who read like, oh, Weller is something special and Pappy is something special. Now they're like, oh, I've got to go find some some Weller and some Pappy. And that's, you know, that's all that bourbon is. 
instead of walking into a store, grabbing a fucking bottle of Jim Beam, Evan Williams, Wild Turkey, Old Forester, drinking an 86, 90, 100 proof bourbon, learning how to drink it straight, learning how to drink it with cola, learning how to drink it in an old fashioned or a Manhattan and learning to really appreciate bourbon at its base. And those are all really good bourbons that are affordable, available, and drinkable every single day of the week. They're starting with the specialty stuff. And what's going to happen is they're going to go like, bourbon is just too hard to get. I, I don't know if these people who, the the new to bourbon people who called me this week, are like, oh, I, you know, I heard Weller is really good. I don't even know if they know that a brand like Jim Beam or Evan Williams exists or Maker's Mark or Wild Turkey. Like, I don't know if they exist. And they've been taught that these other specialty brands, all the Buffalo Trace stuff, that's good bourbon. That's where it's at. And so the perception, and I've said this before, when you make something out to be so, so good, it can only be good if something else is so, so bad. And the perception is like, oh, this Weller stuff is great. Everything else must be shit because I can find that everywhere. That's not it. It's good. And you can find it everywhere because a lot of those people, those distilleries, Jim Beam, Maker's Mark, Heaven Hill, Wild Turkey, they've been doing this for 60, 70 years. They figured it out. They figured it out long before any of us gave a shit about bourbon. They were figuring it out. They had their bills paid. They own their distilleries. They can afford to put out good quality product for an affordable price. They've been running those stills for years. They have tons of juice. Maybe not tons of 12-year juice. People losing their minds because, you know, Elijah Craig Barrel Proof isn't 12-year-old anymore, dipped under 10. It, you know, to get 12-year-old juice, you got to be patient enough to wait 12 years for it. Um, and we drank up all of that stock. Uh, and there was a lot of that stock. And this is kind of the last point with, with age statements too. And this goes back to scotch. Age statements are a gimmick. Bottom line, they're a gimmick. Uh, during Prohibition, when scotch wasn't getting imported into the United States because we couldn't buy or sell alcohol, all their supplies were building up there. What happened? Uh, how do we get rid of this stuff? We need to find a way to make it premium. Again, finding a way to sell this and make it seem like it's more special than it is. Well, older is better. This scotch is 12 years old. This scotch is 15 years old. This scotch is 21 years old. And all of a sudden, people are like, whoa, older is better. Now, granted, 12-year-old scotch is great. And then we went through a period where everybody was drinking 12-year-old scotch and 15-year-old scotch. To the point where you stopped seeing 15s, you started to see 14s. They started lowering the age statements. Scotch actually started dropping age statements. There's plenty of what they call NAS, no age stated bottlings, uh, because we drank it all up. But we, you know, it was there because nobody was drinking it before then. And the same thing happened with bourbon. 15 years ago, you know, there was a brand like Black Maple Hills. They were getting old Stitzel Weller juice bottling it. It was literally happy before it was happy but that stuff is gone uh rowan's creek and noah's mill from uh willet you know those things used to have like 12 18 year age statements on it that juice is all gone we drank it all 
but it was only there because in the 20 years prior to that, nobody was drinking the stuff. So it, it's, it tells a story, but it just doesn't tell the whole story. And so my fear for the future of bourbon is everything becomes specialized. People get upset because the age stated stuff isn't there, not realizing why it isn't there anymore. Uh, they start to think that, you know, only Weller and Buffalo Trace are good bourbons and nobody wants to take a chance and fail in life. Nobody wants to buy a $25 bottle and go like, oh, that tastes like shit. Never mind. Uh, but you also run the risk of coming across a Rebel 100 or an Ezra Brooks Rye or, you know, uh, even um, a benchmark for 10, 12 bucks that they're just good, solid whiskeys. They have the flavor of bourbon. You can buy them, drink them, and afford them every single day. And you should be working your way up to appreciating finding a bottle of Weller or Pappy. But even then, if you can find it, great. But if you're going to pay four times what you should, it's not worth it. And that scares me for the future. All right. My immediate future? I'm going to finish and do a bottle kill on this Baker 7 and this Knob Creek 12 tonight. <sighs> Thank you guys so much uh, for listening to me rant and indulging me on this. Um, I really do appreciate the fact that you're still here listening at this point of the podcast. Uh, and if you're still here but you haven't done so yet, go to the podcast page, click that follow button, give it a five-star rating share it out on your social media so that your friends know that there's a podcast for them to listen to um, amongst the multitudes and multitudes and millions and millions of podcasts that litter the landscape of the podcast world. Follow me on Instagram and Facebook uh, where you can leave comments and reviews about the podcast. Um, you can also message me through both of those platforms as well. And for anything else, you can email me at thespiritsguide89 at gmail.com. All right, guys. Uh, thank you again so much. And uh, have a great week. Go Steelers. And uh, yeah, we'll talk to you next week. Cheers.